Well, it's our great privilege this morning to welcome Reverend Celia. Reverend Celia is an apostolic ministry. She, I think, in the last year has traveled 52 nations. That's one a, one a week, for those who need the maths. Uh, she is involved in so many areas. She has activities and ministries and business in Ghana and in the UK. She mentors CEOs and young people. She has a heart to release people into their destiny and their purpose in God. And Celia, it is an absolute privilege to welcome you to Rediscover. Uh, make yourself a home. We are just so delighted that you're with us today. So would you give a massive round of applause and a big Rediscover welcome to Reverend Celia. Thank you so much. Thanks very much. Thank you. Well, good morning. It is a good morning. I thought you agreed. And someone once said, if you're happy, don't forget to let your face know it. It is a very good morning. It is the day that the Lord has made. And we will rejoice. My God, we will rejoice and be glad in it. We are people of hope. Hope is a favorable, confident expectation that tomorrow is going to be better than today. That God is at work. I just wanted to correct something. I have not been in 52 countries. He's making me sound immortal. (laughs) 52 countries in in the last year. No, in the last 20 years or 21 years. No. (laughs) I I know. I was like, I'd like that, God. It wouldn't be too bad. (laughs) One of the things that I'm learning, and um, do I sound a bit nasal? Oh, I'm good. One of the things that I'm learning is to ask more from God, okay, is to remove the limits of God, because there's no reason why the only limits and boundaries are ones that are placed there by us when it comes to accomplishing things of the kingdom. And I have good gospel news for you. It may scare some of you. It may delight some of you. I don't have a plan this morning. I've been praying for the last, since I got the invitation, and I don't have very clear word, but I know that God wants to speak. A certain way, not according to my presumption. But before I do so, I'd like to just thank um, you for receiving me. Uh, Jesus said something. He says, when you go anywhere to speak, he says, uh, first of all, watch how you're received before you release the word. Because how they they receive you is indicative of what they'll do with what you give them. Yeah. No preacher is under audio obligation. That's why he went there and they didn't receive him as a prophet of God. Bible says he left there and he, he actually uh, brushed the, soles, uh, the dust of the soles of his feet. I've been received well with the best thing in life, good fish and chips. As far as I was concerned, I'm like, God, let your kingdom come in this place. Let your will be done. I mean, apart from the fact that Jason made sure that I was good every second before I got here. And of course, I thank you so much for your warm welcome in your family home. And I felt just at home. I felt like one of you. And I appreciate you. I appreciate your leadership. And of course, again, no church can be great without its people. When you see a pastor who comes, you can always tell what the church is like by looking at the pastor, you know. About three days old egg on his tie, you know. Can't get it together complaining about the church all the time because the people are giving him stress. Or where I come from, is called Wahala. You know, just so, so stress. But every time I speak to uh, Pastor Mark and Nita, they're just full of delight for Rediscover, full of delight. And it's always indicative of the quality of the people. I'm not even joking. 
If you like, go and ask Brother Moses when you get to heaven. You know, even God got so fed up one day, God came to him and said, Mo, I got a bigger idea. A great one. He said, listen, let's, I see the people. They are stressing you and me. They'll tear up our plans to get to the promised land and do something. Can we kill them all? I'm not, I'm not lying. Can we? God, this was God's best strategy. Can we kill them all and then start afresh? And then Moses, knowing more than God, says, God, it's cool. I got this. He says, first of all, you have to kill me before you kill my people. Now it's your people, Moses. I'm saying this and you're laughing, but I don't think sometimes we honor our leadership enough. I'm not talking about sycophancy. I'm not talking about inordinate honor. I'm talking about decisions that have to be made. At that point, Moses makes a pastoral decision that cancels out God's prophetic counsel. Hear me. Moses says to God, these are my people. I'm not. He's feeling as a pastor. He's changed nappies, blown their noses, put up with all their complaining, their murmuring all these years. And there's been a bond. And he feels very protected. And God says, I know how you feel, Mo, but I can see the future. They will scupper the plans. They will hinder you. It will cost you something. And at that moment, Moses is torn. Do I listen to God's prophetic counsel or do I take a chance on these people I love? And as a pastor of how many years, or somebody who has pastored people of different ages in different continents, I can tell you this. Every single leader at some point has to make a choice between God's prophetic counsel and their pastoral heart. When you pray for your leader, pray that he makes the right choices. But when I see a church that's healthy, I salute leadership. And I salute the people behind them. That we never push our leadership to the point where they make the wrong choices. Because of our sake. God bless you. Well, this morning, I don't know about you, but I've been hungry for more of God. So I don't know where God's going to take us, but he's going to take us somewhere. He's going to take us. So, Holy Spirit, you know I've pushed, I've, I've thrown tantrums, I've called and asked you for a word. But a woman of faith, I trust that you'll put a word in season in my mouth for your people this morning. Speak by me and let it be your word of truth and power. Word that transforms, a word that refreshes, nourishes, establishes, becomes a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our pathways. A word that takes us from where we are to where we're supposed to be. Let it come through my lips and let it minister grace to the hearers this morning. We pull down every stronghold of the enemy. Everything that would hinder or oppose your word. Cause us to be doers and not hearers. Transform us by the renewing of our minds this morning. Refresh our spirits. And while I'm yet speaking, heal our bodies and our minds and our souls today. In Jesus' name, amen. It is a new season. How many of you know and can tell that we've entered a new season? Sometimes, how do we tell? We see the, how the enemy raises the ante. Okay? Conflict goes up. And I don't mean physical conflict only. But there's so much contention in the spirit. We, everywhere you see, uh, Isaiah talks about, Isaiah says, in Isaiah 14 verse 6, he says, 
about Satan that he sought to make cities into desolate places, into wildernesses. That's a whole different sermon. And so he, he doesn't stop until he has ravaged and destroyed cities and humanity. And, and so he's raised the ante everywhere you go. Deep darkness. This morning, God reminded us to rejoice because his light has come upon us. But what is the context? What is the background of that? The background of that is that deep darkness, gross darkness, the deepest of darkness has fallen. But I believe for the Christian and the Christian world and for the ecclesia, something has changed. Life is made up of seasons and we have come into a season change. Now, you must know the season. If you don't know the season, even our prayers have to flow with the season. Zechariah says, ask God for rain in the time of rain. In other words, your prayers must be a reflection of your recognition of the season. Every old prayer doesn't work. He says, ask him. In other words, in the season when God hasn't called for rain, when you cry for rain, there is no rain. But... When he says that ask, uh, in the season for rain, ask for rain, that word ask no, is not supplication. We're not begging God for rain. In other words, tell the clouds, make a decree, make a demand. You've been holding some rains that belong to us, release. Have you seen the authority that comes when you know, you know your season? You're not supplicating, you're not petitioning God. You're not saying, send us the rain, send us the rain. When we recognize it's time for the rain, we say, come on, release that which God has put there. There's a different degree of boldness, of authority that comes upon us to pray. In Luke chapter 22, let's go there very quickly. Luke 22. When I go all over the scripture, it doesn't matter. Um, Luke 22, I speak as I feel God puts on my heart this morning. He said to them, when I sent you without money, bag, knapsack, and sandals, did you lack anything? So they said nothing. And then he said to them, but now. Everybody say, but now. <laughs> See how Jesus is pulling it down to now. He says, but now. In other words, yesterday I said to you something. That was another season. He says, but now, now is necessary. But now he who has no money bag, let him take it. Likewise, a knapsack, and he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. Okay, when the season changes, the instructions change. When the season changes, instructions change. He told them, he says, when, I, when you're going out to evangelism or share the gospel, go and choose. Okay, don't take knapsack, don't take pens. Pastor Mark, it's amazing. We're still using that text to send out missionaries. Don't take anything. Well, what about the next verse? He said, that's what I told you yesterday. But that's no long, that context is no longer relevant, so that instruction is no longer relevant. As we seek to advance and transform Exeter and Devon and the environs, we have got to be keenly listening to what is God saying? What is the spirit, the climate like? What, where are we at? Where is the season? And what new instructions does God give us? He says, but now. Now, forget everything I told you. I told you not to take it. Take it. In fact, if you haven't got one, sell everything you have and buy one. So I want to ask you, rediscover church, what's God saying now? Now is necessary. Now is necessary. Now is necessary. The other day I heard that you had an extended period of worship. You know, it's not just to titillate us and make us feel good. But part of worship is so that we position to hear God. First Samuel 13 says this. That Saul, somebody, I don't even know what time I started keep time for me. 
that's my biggest weakness is time. So I need somebody to count me down. Um, Saul is in the midst of, goes to battle against the Philistines. And Samuel tells him at his coronation, whenever you go to battle, he says, you must wait for the prophet to come to make the sacrifice before you go to battle. Saul is facing the Philistines and the pressure is getting higher and higher and more intense. And the people are fleeing the battlefield. Some flee into caves and so on. And as a leader, he's feeling the pressure. But he's clock watching. You know, sometimes we can get into a very religious mode and not a prophetic mode. He's clock watching and then seven days goes and prophet Samuel hasn't showed up. And Saul says, I've accomplished what God wants me to do. However, I'm going to make the sacrifice right now because I can't go to battle without a sacrifice. So he makes the sacrifice. And as soon as he's done, Samuel shows up. And Samuel says, what have you done? And he says, well, I waited for you seven days, like you said, and you didn't show up. And he says, but I needed to go to battle. So I did my, the sacrifice. I can't, and these are Saul's words. He says, I cannot go to battle without doing the obligatory sacrifice. And Samuel's response is not, well done. He says, from this day forth, you have lost your throne. Now, when I first read that, it didn't make sense to me. I, I, honestly, when we get up to heaven, there's some petitions that I want to bring before God. There's some cases I don't understand. It's like, why did Stephen die when God knows he was going to save Saul? Paul. Saul. You get me? Couldn't he have waited just another chapter? I don't get that. So, I don't get this. You told the guy, wait seven days. The sacrifice must be made. He makes, wait seven days. He makes the sacrifice. And then you say to him, why do you make the sacrifice You've lost your throne. What Saul forgot was God is not interested in just the sacrifice. At his, first of all, appointment as king in 1 Samuel 10, he was told this. You must wait for the prophet to come to make the sacrifice because we must know what God desires us to do. So we are upgrading our worship. As we upgrade worship, we are keenly sensitive what is God saying. It's not an experience just so we can experience God and say, go, oh, three fast, two slow, we done it. Now let's move on to the next thing. I believe as days come and as we thrive for revival, God's going to upset our itineraries. <laughs> God's going to turn things upside down. And it won't be because it's not just a question of the time that we spend. It's a question of how much of a revelation of God we catch during that time. And so I want you to, uh, I want to, to encourage you that I believe this is a time of release of revelations. I believe that at a time when God, we are in the midst of worship, we must also be asking God, what are you saying? Or open my eyes to see, sanctify my hearing to hear, because it was designed for you to catch God's instruction. Not just to enjoy something and say, we fulfilled righteousness. And then God says, I found a man. After my own heart, who will do all my will? What is David's MO? It's a guy who will do nothing without knowing the will of God. 
He's keenly fine-tuned. I believe as we advance as a people of God to press in the kingdom and advance the kingdom, we have got to have to know. And so, Father, this morning we pray that you will sanctify our hearing this morning. Lift up your hands to heaven and say, God, sanctify my hearing. I want to hear you say, the Bible says, you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, turn ye in it. May he instruct your heart in the night seasons. We need the raiment of God. We need the sensitivity of God. We need to hear his voice. We need to be familiar with his voice. We need to see him when he moves that we might follow the Lord of the battle into the battlefield. Even as an intercessor, I'm learning not to be careless with prayer. Where is God positioned on the battlefield? We're going to be unfolding a little bit of that as we go along. Luke 22. I'm going to take you right now to this book of Psalm 49, verse 20. Psalm 49, Verse 20. He says, a man who is in honor, or anyone who is in honor yet does not understand, is like the beast that perish. Being a Christian is a place of honor. Being a son of God is a place of honor. Being a child of God is a place of honor. He says, but if you don't understand it, you'll be like the beast that perish. I'm going to start from the back. The beast that perish, perishing doesn't mean you will die. It means that the, the word perish there in the Hebrew is dumb. You'll be dumb. You'll be silent. In other words, you'll be ineffectual. If you don't understand the honor God is giving you as a son, now it matters how we see God. The woman at the well came. She saw Jesus as a, as a man. So how, that's how she related to him. You, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan. How you see God is how you will relate with God. And so as you, we pray in this time of revival, the first thing that comes in revival is we see ourselves as God sees us. It's not a feeling. We see ourselves as God sees us because we begin to see God as he is too. Okay? We see God and then we see ourselves. Then we begin to see our community the way that God sees our community. He says uh, the woman then sees him as a man. Then she sees him as a prophet. And she's still relating to him. And Jesus says, if you only knew, if you only knew, if you could only recognize, if you could only have the revelation of who is speaking to you, you'd ask me for life. You'd ask me for rivers. I wonder whether my prayer life is a reflection of how I see God. He says, if you only knew who was demanding this thing of you, you would abandon your whole self. John, the revelator, speaks of himself in scriptures, and he, he describes himself as Jesus' BFF, okay? Jesus' best friend forever. I mean, how, how humble for you to write your own thing and say, well, the disciple that Jesus loved. <laughs> and he described himself, he put his head on Jesus' chest. But when he see, and because that's how he saw him. Perhaps when he saw him, can you come up? Oh, no, a young man is going come up, yeah. Yeah, how do you breach your friends? Yeah, hi, bro. You know, maybe, maybe he would, maybe John was like this with Jesus, man. Hey, what's up? What's up? What's up? Because that's his friend. He knows him as a man. But when he sees Jesus in the book of Revelation, the Bible says he falls. How did he, what did he see? He saw Jesus in his glory. He saw Jesus in his fire. He saw the, the sword out of his mouth. He saw the glory. He fell down as one dead. He didn't do a what's up. See the same Jesus. I pray that in these times, I'm trying to also 
let's introduce a few things into our prayer life. God, I want to see you as you are. Because when I don't see you properly, I'm casual with you. I pray one day, then tomorrow I'm in doubt. I pray one day, and then tomorrow I'm praying a prayer like I didn't pray before. I come before you, and I'm a bit casual, you see. I wonder what will happen when we see God in our gathering today, or or wherever we gather, we see God present as he is. I wonder what our response would be. Casualness is taking away. There is something. There, I think, thank you so much. I think when we see God as we, we, he is, repentance comes out. And I think in revival, what happens is there's a fresh revelation of God towards us. So repentance comes. We see our community different. We see life different. We're triggered differently. I pray this morning, or whatever the Lord does, Father, I know Celia needs to see you afresh. I need to see you with fresh eyes. I need to see you as you are. The song we used to say, to see you high and lifted up. Isaiah saw him and he saw something else. And then he began to, the perspective he had on his community changed. I think we have accommodated some things in our community. I think we've almost given up on some things. I think that if we're not careful, we think some things are impossible. But when you see him, 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 I started to talk to God about some things that the the world is going through and the church is going through. He says, Celia, I don't care. I said, God, but these are repetitive cycles. He's been going on for a long time. He says, my name is Ancient of Days. I got there before those problems got there. He's the same God who stood. He said, let me remind you of something. When he stood before Lazarus' grave, he did not have to. uh, Do you realize that he never addressed death? Because when he showed up, even death knew who had showed up. So what he did was he said to Lazarus, come out. He never sought to heal. He never addressed death. It's like, I'm here. The moment I showed up, your chains fell off. So what are you still doing in the grave? There is such a thing. When you, know, you see something about God, the people that know their God, they're strong. I, I don't know about you, but I'm ready to conquer some mountains. Like I've been telling God, I'm ready. I don't, I don't want to hear it's impossible with our education system. I don't want to hear it's impossible with our political system. I don't want to hear it's, it's impossible with our NHS. I'm ready for some mountains, God. I'm ready because I see God differently. I see him high and lifted up. He's the high and lofty one. I see him seated on the throne. I see him, man, he created all things and all power belongs to him. What is it that he cannot do? There is something. We need a fresh revelation. When we come before God in our prayer, say, I want to see you differently. I want to see you. I want to see a God of strategy. I'm a a strategist. I I just love the way God works out strategy. Who else can get uh, 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 Mary and Joseph into into Bethlehem when they don't know they've got to be in Bethlehem, except that he touches the heart of Caesar, who then calls uh, 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 for a census. uh, And then Mary and Joseph are pressed in to go to their hometown. Can you imagine a God who causes a pagan king to serve his purposes? I don't know about you, but I look back and I'm like, God, you're too much. It's fascinating. Aren't you fascinated when you read the scripture? Because everything I see is telling me, I must be honest with you, kingdom come is difficult. It's difficult. 
I walk, I, I talk to politicians, I mentor, I, I deliberately ask for, that's my grace to ask for that mountain. Somebody's got to tell them, they're handling things on behalf of my daddy. And I need to bring some counsel for the book, from the book for them. So what I do is I take biblical principles and I wrap it up in MBA language and they pay me for it. Seriously, I'm getting somewhere. Are you catching me? I'm hoping this morning to infuse you for more, with more. To, I'm hoping this morning to, I don't know, but to open your eyes to, to make you hungry for more. Because what we are seeing is not enough. But to see God more, my God. He's awesome and he's doing to us the sons of men. Who else would send Magi to the right address? Carrying gold to sustain a missionary called Jesus frankincense to worship him as a god and myrrh to bury him as a messiah and yet maybe when they chose those gifts they didn't quite understand i want you to know all things are god's servants and he's about to do something i believe i feel that the world is pregnant the church is pregnant with something now i'm gonna come back to something about our own identity because i felt a strong sense of god wanting me to speak about our identity and one of the, and then you, in their declaration, you reminded us this morning about who we are in Christ. I'm going to do it. I'm going to start with this. Susan, can you help me with what you helped me with, the tissue and the water? Jesus hasn't started ministry yet. And one of the very first things God does is, if you stay there for me, please. One of the very first things that God does with Jesus is this. He teaches him about a lesson about who he is. In the baptism, in the book of Luke, uh, Matthew chapter 3, the only thing God says is, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I don't think that announcement was as much for the people around as it was for Jesus. I think Jesus, God was trying to say to Jesus, if you ever forget anything, never forget who you are. Because he goes into Matthew chapter 4 in the wilderness. And the devil tempts him. And the first thing that the devil asks is, are you a son? I think the question of our identity has never been as critical as it is now. You see how it's even playing out in a gender crisis. How many genders do we say we have? Our identity is 90 something. Is that what they say? Is that what madman says? You know, the question of identity is always at the core. It's the first thing that Satan asked Eve. If you eat this thing, will you not be like God? Hang on a minute. I'm, a bit, I'm already like God. He's always trying for us to question who we are. And it's the first thing that God taught his son. Wherever you go, boy, never forget who you are. Because you do life from who you are and who I am. Please stay with me. Did you realize, if you don't believe me, the next temptation is about the same thing. Satan actually offers Jesus what's already his. If you'll worship me, I'll give you all these. Jesus refers to the Father, okay? When you go past the temptation, the next thing that happens is Jesus starts ministry. I believe God cannot trust anyone who doesn't truly know who they are because you will settle to, for the highest bidder. 
I believe, let me re repeat this, God cannot fully trust people who don't know who they are in Christ. Because otherwise, you will settle for the highest bidder. What does the enemy do? He's always going to offer you something. That, that your identity is an abhorrent, English language is not my first language word, that is abhorrent, is that the right word? To who your identity is. He's always going to offer you something that will cause you to compromise your identity. And therefore, we must know identity. I'm going to skip. I'm coming back to it. But I want to show you, even when we talk about the spirit and baptism of the Holy Spirit, I want to show you something. Susan, you were a nice person. Promise you'll love me still. Are you wet? A little. You're well. You can feel. Okay. Are you wet? Where's the tissue? Are you wet? No. No. Are you sure you're not wet at all? But you're wet? Yeah. Okay. I want this thing to have capacity to do what this can do. But at the moment, it doesn't have the capacity to do it. The law of baptism says this. Anything that is baptized will take on the nature of the substance into which it is baptized. Are you still with me? The law of baptism says anything that is baptized. Therefore, if I baptize this in red dye, what happens to this? It turns red because it takes on the nature. If I baptize it in oil, what happens? It becomes oily. Okay. For God to ensure that you have the nature and character of the God life. Are you wet? Are you wet? It did not satisfy God for us to operate in our own skin. So he takes you. Are you wet? Are you wet? Are you wet? What this could not do before, the moment it was baptized, it took on capacity. Anything this can do, this can do too. I want to ask you, how many of you are baptized in the Holy Spirit right now? Can you imagine the capacity, my dear, under which we operate? In other words, he didn't just take a, a little thing and say, I'm going to give you a little gift. He sold you in himself. Therefore, what this can do, this must constantly be aware that it has capacity to do so. Why have we stopped? Thank you, Susan. Why did we stop? Who told us to stop? Who told us that speaking a bit of tongues is okay? When I was younger, I would be in church and during worship somebody would go, and somebody would say, my children, I... And studying a prophetic word would be released from somewhere. Do you know now we don't even teach people I don't know anything about this church, so if you do, pardon me. We don't even teach people to ask for interpretation of tongues. We're satisfied when somebody comes to Christ and they just speak tongues, and we rest there. Who told you not to ask to raise the dead? Who told you not to ask for Joseph wisdom when you meet kings? Who told you you couldn't ask to meet kings? 
Joseph says, one day the king's going to need me when you get before him. You know, I'm just trying to say with this baptism of Holy Spirit thing comes an audacity. Paul says there, he says we have hope. Therefore, we are audacious. I'm looking for a release of audacity in the kingdom. I don't know about you. But I cannot be weak. See, I've been on a journey, sir. I've been on a journey, Mark. What's my journey? I've been baptized. But the fullness of my capacity, baptism was to increase your capacity. Transformation took place. You already had his nature. He gave you capacity when he baptized you. Hiya, I'm going to wind down now. I've got a few minutes. You're still with me this morning. I just wanted to, I believe that I, God wants to challenge you. Go to your prayer closet and dare him to, some, to do something. My God. When I began to get this revelation, I would drive through streets wherever I am and I'd say, God is walking through these streets. Makala. When I released, when I, I began to decree over my streets as an intercessor, I didn't believe oh, maybe perhaps something will happen. No, 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 no. You, I understand who I am. I understand what I'm carrying. I am. I understand who I have become. As we worship this morning, I remember the story of when the Philistines took the Ark of Covenant and they took it and they presented it in front of their God, Dagon, because they were not too sure if that presence in the, in the box was what was causing them to lose walls. They, they were not present, uh, too sure whether there was power in this box. They put it before their God, Dagon. God wasted no time in letting them know there was power. They came back the next day and Dagon was down and they weren't too sure. So they erected the Dagon back again and they came back the next day. I like it. I tell God, it's the big time, no God. Daddy, show off a little bit. They came up and Dagon's head was off and his hands was off. His authority was cut off. His hands were cut off. I believe it's time, time that this, the head of Dagon is cut off again. It's a principality. It's cut off. It's a governing principality. It's an oppressive principality. It's cut off again. Anyway, they didn't believe it. They tied these things. You know, they took him to their, their cities and everywhere they went. There was bubonic plague. All manner of tumors grew on people. When the presence of God shows up, nothing remains the same. I am challenging you, Rediscovery Church. When you start to worship here, something ought to change out there. Let me throw in a quick story. I remember when I, one day, many, many years ago, we were worshiping at church and it was so powerful. And you know, when we all lose ourselves in Christ, and I remember ahead of hospitality, her daughter came to drop her. About four hours later, this woman went out and her daughter was parked exactly where she was parked. And she was crying. And she said, what's up, Lorraine? <laughs> Mommy, when I dropped you, God came into my car for four hours, this girl. And I'm like, God, give us those days again. Man, give us those days again. When we gather here and people on the... Come on. I don't know about you, but I know whom I have believed. I don't know about you, but I know who I read about. You know why sometimes we don't ask, what if it doesn't happen? What's your problem? The excellency of the power is not of me. It's of God. Not many wise have been chosen. Look at me. Not many clever. But I have, God has this treasure in a broken earthen vessel. But he wants the broken earthen vessel to reveal his power. Will there be people in Rediscover Church who will reveal your power? I'm challenging the music ministry. That you'll come here and you begin to worship and you expect great things from God. You don't just say, God, we want your presence. God, we want to see manifestations. Tumors fall off. God, we want to see healings. God, we want to see people touched out there. My God, one of my biggest prayers, God, I want to greet the addicts out there. And I want to see addictions fail. My God, we don't have time for medication.
I didn't say I didn't like medication. And so you know what? I'm talking, talking about, they, they put this, this power is in this box. They tie it to uh, mama cows and they put the babies there and they say, if the baby cows cry, mama cows naturally turn around. Then we will know this power in this box is powerless. The baby cry, cry, the baby uh, cow, the mother, the baby cows, calf, began to cry out. The mother cows never turned. They were still headed towards Jerusalem, headed. The people realized there's power. They quickly disposed of this box in the house of Obed-Edom. And the Bible says everything that Obed-Edom put his hands to began to prosper. Even his ugly daughters all got husbands. You know, you know, there's something about the presence of God. People, I'm just saying, sometimes we are so used to the presence of God, but there's something greater that it can do. There's something greater that, let's not hoard this thing. When you came and you soaked yourself in the presence of God, when you went out there, you didn't leave the presence of God here. You took it out there. Now begin to expect something to happen. Now begin to expect manifestations to happen. Of course, when they took it out, they took it into Obed-Hedon's house. That's why David was so jealous to bring it back to Jerusalem. He tried it the first time that guy died. What was his name? Uzzah died. And he tried it again. And when he came in without anybody dying, every five steps they took, he slaughtered cows. He made a sacrifice. And he danced himself naked while he was rejoicing. The presence is still here. The presence. I pray that this community will rejoice because there's a presence being released from something. But the whole object of me telling you this story is that God decided he doesn't live in a box anymore. He changed his address. Right now, if you ask God, what's your address in Exeter? It's Celia P.J. Collins. God walking right now. That's God's address. God, God's address. That's God as he that is joined to the Lord has become one spirit with him. That's God's address. That means the same presence that lived in the box, that brought Dagon down, has now been multiplied inside of you. When you wake up in the morning, there's nothing. Listen, Paul says, as long as there are contentions and strivings among you, are you not mere mortals? When you are born again Christian, you're not a mere mortal. This is God's address. Alive with fire. Alive with power. Alive with something. Stop considering yourself as a normal, ordinary person. I may look normal. The box looks normal, but I house power. I house glory. <laughs> I house righteousness. Reckon yourselves that way. <laughs> you don't believe me. You know, I told you, he said, a man who is in honor and does not understand. The word understanding means kinsman. You become a relative of who you are. You have an understanding so much of who you are. You are familiar with it. You live from that place. That's where you do your existence is from a place of revelation of who you are. Ha! Look at how Jesus conducted himself. He was never subject to no man because he was conscious of who he is. The story is told, you see, when you, uh, uh, DNA is important. The story is told of a set of twins that were born in Ohio. When they were first born, they're called the Jim twins, you could look this up. When they, they were first born, they were, what's the word again? They were adopted by uh, two separate families who never met each other. One of them decided to, took, well, took him to some other part of the United States, the other family also did. And one of them decided to name their son uh, James. Guess what? The other family also decided to name their son James. You know the story. You've heard it before. Yeah. Okay. Somebody has. So James grew up. James got married. I've forgotten the name of his first wife, but let's say Marion. James decided to 
Mary, a woman called Mary. The other James also grew up and decided to marry, and he married a woman called Mary. They both decided. This first James decided to divorce his wife. This other one also decided to divorce his wife around the same time. Remember, they never met in their life, never. They don't know each other. They remarried. They both married women called Mary. They both had sons. The first James had a son. James had a son, and he decided to name him Alan. James Allen, A-L-L-E-N. You're getting the gift just, just now. The second James also had a son in his second marriage. He also decided to name his son Alan, A-L-A-N. They both had dogs in the house, one dog. The first household called their dog Toy. Is that a common dog name? No. Guess what the second household also? James, who never met his brother, has never conferred Toy. 37 years, they both went into law enforcement without knowing each other. 37 years when they met, they realized that later, for the first time, they realized that they had been going to the same holiday spots. They drove the same kind of car, and they smoked the same kind of cigars. What is it that makes people repeat patterns and do the same thing? I bet you if you had brought their father into view, you'd have found that they carried the same DNA. DNA determines behavior. The common DNA from a common father determines behavior. Who is your father? Who is your father? When you pray, say, our father. Why have we made him only a God of provision? And forget that he didn't give us father so that we could only have provision and protection. That's a duty of care anyway. We don't have to fuss about that. But he also reminded us who we are, that we might conduct ourselves in that way. I could just take you over and over, and I'm going to finish with this. My time's up. As we advance the kingdom, Jesus reminds us again about who we are. He says the kingdom of God suffered violence. You remember? And who? It's going to need violent people who take it by force. We don't walk into kingdom advancement. By the way, he says the Egyptians you saw yesterday, you'll not see them no more. Hallelujah. But he didn't say you wouldn't war. Egypt represents limitations and oppression. A place of captivity. We've been broken out of captivity. Israel never fought Egypt. But they never stopped warring. The wars they were about to fight after Egypt were not wars of liberty. They were wars of possession. Every time we, we keep fighting wars of liberty, we must remember he promised us we wouldn't have to fight those things anymore. Now we fight wars to advance and possess that which belongs to our father. That the king may not suffer loss, Daniel 6. 1. So Matthew, Jesus says, the kingdom of God suffered violence, the violence take it by force. Then he goes and says, out of every man born upon the earth, there is none like John the Baptist. You remember? I wonder why he linked John to the kingdom advancement. Who 
are some of your heroes in scripture? Who are some of the people that were born of man? My time's up, so hurry up with me. Sorry? Esther. Joseph. Esther transformed nations. Joseph, advised king, became a father to Pharaoh. Moses parted the Red Sea. I mean, his rod brought out water from a rock. Elijah, what did he do? Raised the dead. Elisha raised the dead. Who else? Joshua. Man, you're talking about warrior people. A man who has capacity to speak to the sun. And he stands still. And he says, of all these people, John the Baptist is still the greatest. Can you tell me where John even healed a headache? Not one miracle, not one, not one single miracle is written about John, yet he's greater than Abraham, your father, greater than David, according to Jesus, greater than Elijah. I wonder why, greater than Solomon, man of wisdom, we have reduced ourselves and our identity to achievements. You're waiting to grow up in Christ before you realize how powerful you are. You're waiting to achieve something. I don't care how many exams you fill. I don't care how many divorce. I don't care what you know and what you don't know. He says, John is still greater. He never healed. In fact, his demise is a sorry story to tell. A young teenage girl dances a sexy dance, asks for a price of his head, is laid on a platter a few minutes later. All his church left. And joined somebody else's church. They never came back. They just went for a conference with Jesus' church and never came back. In the 21st century, we would have called him the greatest failure. And Jesus says, none has been greater than John. John's greater than all our heroes. But the story doesn't end there. Jesus says, but anybody in the kingdom, the least in the kingdom, Mark, is still greater than John. That means anybody that was born again 10 minutes ago is greater than John. That means if they are greater than John, sir, they are greater than Elijah. They are greater than Moses. They are greater than Elisha. They are greater than Abraham. They are greater than Solomon. Are you still getting what I'm saying? I don't, do you know that's why these things we need to spend time and say God reveal to us because revelation is not just knowledge. Right now, even as I preach it to you, several times I've preached it and I'm still praying, God, I need this to become rhema. I need it to be enfleshed because God is saying, because I'm, all my life I want to be like Elijah. And God said, but you're greater than Elijah. You're greater than, you know, we, we, we put some people as heroes and we think we will never attain to them. And God says, but you're greater than them. What is it that makes John greater than them? We know it can't be achievements because he didn't have those accolades. John was the only one who saw Jesus. All of the others prophesied about him. David was so precise. Isaiah was so precise about the cross, about the birth, about everything. Micah prophesied about They were so accurate as prophets. But Jesus said even to the disciples, your fathers lived to see this day where I'm chatting with you and eating with you. They never saw it. They prophesied it, but they never saw it. John was the only one who says, Behold the Lamb of God, the one who we heard about, who takes away the sin of the world. It was about proximity with Jesus. John had one foot here and one foot there, one in the old and one touching the new, the state of the covenant. But as for you, the reason you're greater than John you have something John didn't have. 
he lives in you. He's taking residence in you. And he that is joined to the Lord has become one spirit. I'm going to beg the intercessors. Sometime when you meet, let's take time praying that we might come into a revelation of who we are. Otherwise, thank God for the heroes that have gone ahead of us. In our little minds, we can never attain to that. We just want a little bit of what they had. And God ups the ante. He said, don't ask just for what Elijah had. Because right now, you're greater than him. He spoke about Jesus, never saw him. John touched him, but it was an external thing. But you and him, you're inseparable now. I believe that when God says his glory would fill the earth, it was you and I expressing God upon the earth wherever you go. This week, set yourself a challenge. How will the glory be seen in me? This week, set yourself a challenge. These mountains shall be flattened. This week, set yourself a challenge. I will decree a thing. And it shall be established. These things, these weeks set yourself a challenge. Wherever the soles of my feet tread, God is treading. Something has to give. Would you just take just one minute and just speak to the heavens? Maybe you have a mind that is weak. Maybe, you know, you're worrying about what has taken place. Maybe you're just concerned about not being good enough. Maybe there's a spirit of condemnation. Maybe you feel inadequate. Father, this morning we ask that you heal our inadequacy. Your word is truth. We speak the manifestation of the government of your word. We pull down every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. We pull down every lie, God. And we say, let truth be enfleshed inside of us. Let it stir us up. Let truth be activated in us. Let truth determine what we do, what we say, how we say it. Let truth transform our living God. Behold, now are we sons of the living God. Remind us every day to live like sons, not like servants, not as those who will have the power of sons, but as ones who carry the nature and the power of Abba Father. As Paul says, whose we are and whom we serve. In Jesus' name, amen.